dealing and, with their brokenness. Uh, if you uh, have um, been part of one of our Real Life Connection groups this week, you uh, got your first teaching from Pastor Rick Warren, and we started last Sunday, and uh, it's been a great week. I think uh, we've all experienced a lot of um, information and encouragement through the teaching that we've received, and so we're continuing on today. Um, if by chance you didn't get involved and uh, didn't get signed up for a group, um, you can still join if you'd like to. You just need to see Liz out at the, uh, at the uh, reception desk, at the welcome desk outside, and she'd be happy to give you information about what groups are still available. You'd be hopping in probably late right now, but uh, one week late, but you can get caught up and certainly can get caught up on all the great uh, um, uh, time together, the, the uh, the connection with each other, as well as uh, the good treats that you have in your small groups. So you could, won't miss out on those from now on. So uh, today we're talking about the mercy of forgiveness. And uh, this is a very important topic uh, for each one of us. If we are going to experience God's mercy, we have to experience his forgiveness and we have to be willing to share his forgiveness with others. We're going to talk about, or we're going to look at two stories to start out. One is a, uh, is a news story. Uh, that uh, we're going to show you a little video of, and then we're going to look at a, a story from the Gospel of John uh, that relates to Jesus and his gift of mercy. So let's do the video first. We end this week with a lesson in forgiveness from Steve Hartman on the road. It all went down on this block in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Back in 05, Jamel McGee says he was minding his own business when a police officer accused him of and arrested him for dealing drugs. You saying the officer made it up? Yeah, it was all made up. Of course, a lot of accused men make that claim, but not many arresting officers agree. So you phonied the report? I did. I falsified the report. This is former Benton Harbor police officer Andrew Collins. Were you just trying to chalk up an arrest? Yeah, basically, the start of that day, I was going to make sure I had another drug arrest. And in the end, you put an innocent guy in jail? Correct. Yeah. You lost everything. I lost everything. My only goal was to seek him when I got home and to hurt him. Really? That was my goal. Eventually, that crooked cop was caught, served a year and a half for falsifying many police reports planting drugs, and stealing. Of course, Jamel was exonerated, but he still spent four years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Today, both men are back here in Benton Harbor, which is a small town. Maybe a little too small. Hey, guys, thank you. Last year, by sheer coincidence, they both ended up at Mosaic, a faith-based employment agency where they now work side-by-side in the same cafe. Oh, excuse me. And it was in these cramped quarters that the bad cop and the wrongfully accused had no choice but to have it out. And I said, honestly, I have no explanation. All I can do is say I'm sorry. And Jamel says that was all it took. That was pretty much what I needed to hear. Today, they're not only cordial. Saturday, we went to the trampoline park. They're friends. Uh, you know, we talk about life. Such close friends. Not long ago, Jamel actually told Andrew he loved him. And I just started weeping because he doesn't owe me that. I, he, I don't deserve that, you know? Did you forgive for his sake or for yours? No, for our sake. Not just us, for our sake. Jamel went on to tell me about his Christian faith and his hope for a kinder <laughs> mankind. He wants to be an example. So now he and Andrew give speeches together about the importance of forgiveness and redemption. Grab this, we'll set it over there. And clearly, if these two guys from the coffee shop can set aside their bitter grounds, what's our excuse? Steve Hartman, on the road, in Benton Harbor, Michigan. And that's the CBS evening. <laughs> In John chapter 8, we read this story. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, 
This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Two beautiful stories of forgiveness. One lived out in a very uh, real way in our lifetime, and we can really relate to that story. Another one in a, in a, several, a couple centuries ago that in a completely different world that we wonder, you know, how this all played out. So we're going to look at that story that Jesus told or that the, um, the Gospel of John shares with us about Jesus and how he handled this woman to understand what Jesus is teaching us about forgiveness. Because understanding biblical forgiveness, to have the kind of forgiveness that says to someone that has hurt you and has, you know, even has brought you to a place where you have suffered in prison for four years, to come to the point and say, I forgive you, I love you, let's be uh, friends together. That is just a miracle of mercy. And Jesus explains to us how mercy works by the way he shows mercy and how we can, in turn, show mercy to others. I think one thing to note, if you are reading this story in your Bible, uh, your own Bible, and especially if you're reading from one of the modern translations, there will be a note in here uh, at the beginning of of John chapter 8 that will tell you that this story of the woman caught in adultery, which is one that we often refer to, especially the line, uh, he who's without sin casts the first stone. We quote that regularly to people. Um, This story was not included in the early manuscripts of the Gospel of John. So if you, uh, if you went back, if you were able to go back to some of the oldest manuscripts that uh, contain the words of the Bible, um, if you can go back to the ones that are the earliest ones, you'll find that this story is not there, which probably means that John didn't actually put this story in the Gospels. Okay, so John probably didn't write this story into the Gospel in the original, uh, original manuscripts that he wrote. Um, when he was telling the story of Jesus. What it probably means is that uh, this is a story that, um, that was uh, told often about Jesus. This was a story that, uh, that people understood to be true because it was often a shared story, you know, the same way as the story of these two men can be shared. You'll probably go and say, you know, I, 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 I heard this story about two men, and, and this is what happened. And this story probably got passed on like that. And later on, uh, people thought, you know, this would be a good story just to include in John's gospel. And maybe they attributed this story to John. It fits in with John's writing. And uh, so it helps us to understand the very human element of the scriptures that we have. Our Bible is not something that was dictated by God um, and uh, this is kind of a side note, by the way. I just want you to understand this. This, this is not a, was, you know, uh, for instance, the Book of Mormon. All right? Uh, Joseph Smith uh, apparently discovered the Book of Mormon. It was a complete book, and there was some miracle about it that he found this, this book, and, uh, and, he, and he brought it out, and so the whole book was complete at that point in time. The Bible isn't like that at all. The Bible is a collection of books and writings from different people, and they have a very human element to them. Now, we believe that the Bible is inspired by God and is, is a very valuable book for us to, to learn and to practice, uh, to help us practice our life. And we believe it's true in what it teaches us about its application to our spirituality and to our life. But you need to understand that something like this story coming into the, into the manuscript of the Gospel of John later is kind of how the Bible was put together. Different collections of items were put together. So when you read that in your Bible, if you, if you have the NIV or other modern translations where they want you to know that this wasn't in the early manuscripts, it doesn't mean this, this story wasn't valuable or that it isn't, it isn't true. 
It's just simply that it was added later from the oral tradition. So it's a very valuable story. It's a great story. We wouldn't want to be without it in the Bible because it really teaches us something about forgiveness in so many different ways. The first thing I want to highlight is the fact that forgiveness is not getting what you deserve. This woman, according to the teachers of the law and the Pharisees who brought this woman to Jesus, they said the, uh, the law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? It's true. The law, if you look at the Old Testament and uh, you look at what it says, when, what God prescribed for the Israelites when they came out of um, Egypt and, and Moses went up on the mountain and he received the law of God, one of the things that uh, it says in there is that, uh, that people who commit adultery should be stoned. And that seems a bit harsh in our world today, doesn't it? It seems a bit, uh, you know, adultery is almost as common as you know, in our world today, we have, you know, uh, apps on our phones. Not our phones, but people have apps on their phones. I don't have it on my phone anyway. <laughs> but people have apps on their phones to help them, you know, cheat on their spouse. It's, it's kind of something that we, uh, we kind of blink at. But back in, uh, in ancient times, it was considered a very serious thing. And, uh, and God did say that the best thing to do would be to stone a person who's caught in adultery. And you say, that seems really, really harsh. And I, I, think, I think you're right, it is harsh. And I don't think it's, it's what, not what God intended for all of us forever. And uh, because Jesus did not apply that law to this woman. He looked at her through the eyes of mercy and not through the eyes of the law. So Jesus had no intention of imposing the law on this woman. And I think the, I think the, the leaders of the, uh, of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees knew that Jesus wouldn't. They knew that Jesus was the kind of person that would say, I forgive you of your sins. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus said that over and over and over again when he met up with people. Jesus never said, okay, the law says this should be done to you, so let's do it. They knew that the, the, that the very character and the image of Jesus was one of graciousness, of mercy, and of forgiveness. So they thought if they could bring this woman to Jesus, they would actually get him in a position where he would renounce the law, and therefore he could say he was, they could say he was a heretic, and they could, say, they, could, they could call him a false prophet, and then they could bring about his destruction or discredit him at the very least. But um, Jesus is a little smarter than they think he is, I guess. And Jesus, uh, Jesus um, of course, doesn't want to give this woman what the law deserves. They say, is the law unfair? Let's take a look at that for a moment. You know, in some cultures, especially in ancient cultures, where you're living in very barbaric times, where the value of human life is very, very minimal, and where different people have different values. And the most valuable people in ancient cultures were the men. All right? They were the most powerful. They were the most valuable. And uh, so men, boys, then maybe your livestock. <laughs> and then somewhere down there would be the women and the girls. So for a woman... If she were caught in a situation where she had committed adultery or where she was seen to be a loose or immoral woman, she would have very little value and very little um, uh, worth in any kind of way. And she would not be seen as being really human and she would be seen as vulnerable. She would be available for any man who's much more powerful and much more um, important to use as he will. So a woman who was caught in adultery in ancient cultures might just be put out in the marketplace or just out in the middle of the street and said anybody can use her any way he wants. Any perverse act you want to do, she's worthless anyway. She's not, she's not, she's not worth anything to her husband anymore because she's an adulteress. Or she may be put in a brothel of some kind where people could go and they could torture her and they could use her to, to live out any kind of perverted fantasy they might have. She could be tortured by men over and over and over and over and over and over again for the rest of her days. So maybe it would be a mercy to this woman to, to actually be able to die. 
I'm not saying that that's a, a great thing, but that's the reality of the world. And this still happens in parts of the world today. And it, well, it's part of the news cycle where women are seen to be something that they can just be used by powerful men and can be tortured even. They can be abused. So maybe in this case, for a woman like this woman caught in adultery, if she is just going to be, be subject to a life of going from one man to another and to be used by groups of men or whatever might happen to her, it may be a mercy. I know people, when they are often tortured, they, they, they beg to be destroyed because that would be a lot easier. Just a little perspective there. Maybe God was helping in that way. So Jesus says to her, or Jesus makes the claim that she doesn't need to get what she deserves. And this is how he comes about it. He points out to these people, to these men, because it's men that bring the woman. Again, men are more powerful than women. And the men bring the woman. It's interesting. It's always been interesting to me. I remember I was my father-in-law preached a sermon when I was back and I was a teenager and I've never forgotten what he said because um, it never dawned on me when I read this story or that kind of thing. But he said, where was the man? <laughs> Why didn't the men bring the man? They only brought the woman. It takes two to tango, they say. You can't commit adultery by yourself. There was a man involved in this, and he got left behind. It's the woman they dragged out. It shows you the, the, the way the law can be imposed on people in such unjust and unfair ways. But Jesus says, really is pointing out in this story that in setting another person free, you set yourself free. When they asked the man in that story, uh, why did you forgive him? Did you forgive him for yourself or did you forgive him for, for him? or who? He said, I forgave him for all of us. You see, when you offer forgiveness to someone, you are, you are actually setting the whole world free. You are actually perpetuating the freedom of forgiveness that comes to every one of us. Jesus said, or the Bible says uh, that they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. What made them go away? What made those people that brought this woman and they were so intent on tricking Jesus, what made them go away? The only thing that Jesus did, he didn't say anything, but it says twice that he knelt down and he wrote something in the dirt. Now, I like to think that what he did is he started to write a list of the kinds of sins that these people would have committed and pointed out to them that they were as guilty as this woman. And Jesus maybe wrote some other, maybe he wrote things in there about lust and, and, and greed and, 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 and all the things that the, the sins that issue from the heart and maybe don't show the same kind of symptom that this woman was involved in, but they, the roots are there. And it's interesting to me that it says that the oldest left first. <laughs> the older we get, the more we know how much we have failed. We become more aware of our frailty and our brokenness. If we're maturing properly, that is. You can be old and be very immature, but if you're maturing, you understand that there's, been, there's, a, there's a whole record of sins behind you. And these uh, men began to walk away one at a time, maybe as Jesus wrote down their specific sins. Maybe, I don't know what he wrote. The Bible doesn't tell us. It just says he wrote, and they walked away. But you see, what happens here is there's a link between in forgiveness. There's a link between how you receive forgiveness and how you give forgiveness. If you watched the video with Rick Warren in your small group this week, he made some statements about the link between forgiveness. And, uh, and, and he made it sound like um, that, that you will not be forgiven by God if you don't forgive others. Now, if that's exactly what he meant, I don't necessarily agree with him. I don't agree with everything Rick Warren says. Um, and so I think we need to, you know, kind of look at what he says and what others say. And you have, to, you have to check what I say against the scriptures. I'm not perfect. But I don't think it works quite that way, that God says to you, okay, 
Like a parent, if you don't go and apologize to your brother, you're not going to get any dessert tonight. I don't think God is sitting there saying, if you don't forgive the person who has hurt you, I'll never forgive you. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think, because Jesus says, even in the Lord's Prayer, which we've been talking about, Jesus, the, the, Jesus teaches us, says, forgive us as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Right? There's a link between our forgiveness of others and the forgiveness that we receive from God. That is true. But I don't think it's on God's end and his unwillingness to forgive us. I think it's on our end and our ability to receive forgiveness if we don't forgive others. You see, because the biggest judgment comes from ourselves. We're aware of the fact of our failure and our sin, and we are very often unwilling to forgive ourselves. And the reason why we're unwilling to forgive ourselves is because we haven't experienced what it means to forgive another person in a real and genuine way. You see, we can't, we can't let ourselves off the hook if we won't let someone else off the hook. If we say, oh, it's impossible for me to forgive that person who offended me or who hurt me or who caused me harm, if I'm not willing to forgive them, then how can I actually believe that God is going to forgive me? And how can I walk in the, in the freedom that God's forgiveness offers us? And that's why you see a lot of believers walking around. They've asked Jesus, they've asked God to forgive them of their sins, but they still walk under the burden of guilt and shame in their life. And one of the reasons why is because they haven't experienced what it's like to really set someone free. And so I think what, what, what we have to understand is, is Jesus is pointing out here is everyone is guilty. So how can you throw a stone at another? And if you're standing there throwing stones at another, you have to believe that someone has the ability to throw a stone at you. You can't let yourself off the hook unless you let others off the hook. God is not limited in his ability to forgive us. There's nothing that stands in the way of God forgiving our sins. But sometimes we block the reception of that forgiveness because of the hardness of our own heart and our unwillingness to forgive those who have sinned against us. And that's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. There is a link, but it's not in God's ability or God's inability to forgive. Another thing I want to point out from this story is that forgiveness precedes the cross. In our, in our uh, theology, in our tradition of, um, of Protestantism, we link the forgiveness of sins very tightly with the work of Jesus on the cross, and rightfully so. We understand that Jesus paid the price for sin on the cross and that his, his suffering and his sacrifice, by his stripes we are healed, his blood cleanses us of our sin, and we understand that that, that that picture of Christ on the cross, next Sunday we'll celebrate communion together and we'll, we'll remind ourselves once again that Jesus died so that we could be forgiven and we could be set free from our sins. But we need to understand that from God's perspective, that's not the origin of the forgiveness of sins. The origin of the forgiveness of sins is God's mercy, not the cross. The cross is an expression of God's mercy. It's the, it's the, it's the, 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 uh, the, the, the big picture of God's mercy. It's the kind of the, 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 the cream on top of the, on top of the dessert kind of thing. It's the, it's the thing that makes it so solid and so real, but it's not what is God's forgiveness alone. Forgiveness emanates from God's mercy, his grace, and his love. And that is not pinned to the cross. That is God's character. That is who he is. God is gracious. He is merciful. God is love, the scripture tells us. 
Because Jesus said to this woman that her sins were forgiven, just like he told the paralytic who came through the roof and he healed of his diseases and all the other people that Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Just like he said to David, way back God said to David, when David said, create in me a clean heart, oh God, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against your people, I've failed, and I, I, just, I plead for your forgiveness, and God forgave him. God doesn't require a sacrifice in order to give forgiveness. God's character is the root of his mercy and his forgiveness. It comes from the heart of the Father, his love and his mercy. And Jesus says to this woman, neither do I condemn you. We can bask in the, in the mercy of God. Oh, the cross is a beautiful thing. And that, that is where everything goes back to. We love the cross. We love what Jesus did for us. But you need to understand that God's character even supersedes the cross. It's the same merciful God that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and they were, they were, were overtaken by their guilt and their nakedness. They knew they were naked all of a sudden and they felt so guilty about it that they tried in all of their own attempts to make clothes to cover up with some fig leaves. But the leaves kept ripping and they kept being exposed and God said, no, I'll kill an animal for you. And the first sacrifice was made. And God made clothes from the animal and gave them to Adam and Eve. And God covered their nakedness. It's God's mercy. It's all the way through the scriptures. It's the whole story of the scriptures is God's mercy and God's love for people. And the cross is the greatest expression of his mercy. And the resurrection is the guarantee that sin is completely defeated. And when God says you're forgiven, you're forgiven indeed. It is finished, Jesus said, when he hung on the cross and he died. And the, the, the resurrection is there to say you can be completely set free of all your sin and your brokenness. And it comes by the mercy of God in your life. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Forgiveness provides a fresh start. That's what Jesus tells this woman. He says, go and sin no more. Now, <clears throat> when I talk to believers, and when I think myself, we tend to be very judgmental of other people. And we have a hard time with people in our world who claim to be Christians and struggle with sin in their life. And we forget that's all of us. It's much easier, Jesus said, it's much easier for us to see the speck in someone else's eye than to see the beam in our own eye. And when we look at people and we say, we can say, well, they can't really be followers of Christ because they, they've got this sin in their life or that sin in their life. And oftentimes people will go back to this story and they'll say, judgmental Christians will go back to this story and they'll say, well, Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. Well, if the, if, the, um, if the qualification of receiving God's forgiveness is never sinning again, then we might as well just leave the building and go home and serve ourselves and have a party because there's nothing to live for. Because not one of us can get away with the rest of our lives without sinning again. So the question is, when Jesus stood over this woman... Did he point his finger at her and said, Now, you woman, go and sin no more. Or did he stand over that woman and he says, They're all gone. And I don't condemn you either. Now go. This is your chance. A fresh start. Go. You don't have to live this life of sin. Do you think God's mercy ended in that moment? And that this was her last chance? Or was Jesus saying, that same mercy is going with you? And if you fail again, we'll be there to pick you up. 
I think that's the only thing that's consistent with God. Yes, he was encouraging her. He was telling her, this is a fresh start. You don't have to live this life. You don't have to be dependent upon a man and his sexual predator. Being a sexual predator, you don't have to be. Uh, you don't have to give your body to a man so that he can support you. God is going with you. This is your chance. This is your fresh start. Go, go. You've got a new day. It's a new day. It's a new opportunity. All the people that have condemned you today have gone away. There's not going to be any stones thrown at you today. So go. It's a new chance. That's what I think Jesus was saying. Because it's completely inconsistent with the mercy and the love of God to say, I'll forgive you this once, but never again. (laughs) Psalm 103 says this in verse 13 and 14. We read it today. "The The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are, and he remembers we are only dust. What loving, merciful, caring father says to their child, you're only allowed one mistake. This is the end. After this, I'm throwing you out. Who says that to their toddler? (laughs) One dirty diaper, one more dirty diaper, and you're out. If you don't eat those vegetables, this is the last chance you get. You're going out. I'll just put you out in the street. That's not the character of a father. He understands that the maturity level of the child and the the appropriate response to their failure is always provided. He knows that we are weak and that we are made of dust. He knows that we are victims of the sin of Adam. He knows that we are living in a world that is, is, uh, is full of sin and full of brokenness. He knows that there's a, a devil out there that is trying to trip us up at every chance he can, and he understands that, so he is patient, and he is forgiving ongoing forgiveness. Day after day, when Jesus hung on the cross, he didn't die for you, just your past sins, not just the sins that you committed up until today, but he, he could, he saw the future as clear as he saw the past, and he said, I'm dying for all sin or all humanity. Yes, you can go and sin no more, but when you fall and when you stumble, we'll pick you up. Paul says in Galatians that when we as believers see one of our brothers or sisters falling into sin, that we should go to them and we should restore them gently. Why? Because if you don't, you'll probably fall into sin yourself, the sin of judgmentalism. I know a lot of believers who they'll, they'll say, well, I'll forgive sin or I'll, I can see God forgiving a person's sin, but only so far. And once you show mercy or grace to people in the reality of who they are, they'll say, that's too much for me. I'm, I'm backing off. You can't, that's too much grace. We so, it's so easy to be self-righteous. But God says, restore them gently. Restore them gently. Forgiveness provides a fresh start. Well, I'm going to invite Cynthia Porin to come up here and talk with me for a few moments. Tell us a little bit, first of all, just about what your ministry is with people. Okay, so um, it's been, uh, well, in, in my whole journey of walking with the Lord, which started in 1982, um, uh, the Lord, first of all, put a, a, a passion in my heart for discipling. So I very um, was hungry for the Word of God and uh, had uh, a hunger for the Word of God. And then came a place of me coming into a place of bringing my brokenness to the Lord. And, I mean, that's ongoing because, you know, brokenness, um, you actually discover all these little fractures and stuff in in your spirit along the way. But uh, I think it was probably in um, the years 2008, 2009, that I really felt the calling of Isaiah 61 
uh, on my life um, because discipling is one thing. It's bringing uh, people into uh, to encounter God's truth and to help them uh, understand how to walk in obedience to that truth. But the, but the area of uh, the calling of Isaiah 61, as I was doing this, I was, um, I was learning so many of the stories um, of women, mostly uh, women, and uh, of the brokenness in the pew. And uh, even encounter knowing that in my own life and in the lives of our children, I mean, it, it's everywhere. And so um, the the desire to uh, heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free and set the prisoners free was really laid heavy on my heart. And so I began a, a deeper journey, a deeper journey of healing. Uh, with the Lord in around um, 2009, 2010, received equipping through um, the ministry that Pastor Michael and uh, leadership brought into the church, LL Ministries, uh, came into a place of um, learning, um, uh, becoming more more intimately acquainted with the same truth. The truth doesn't change. The Word of God doesn't change, but my understanding of that truth and uh, also receiving uh, deeper healing in my own spirit um, because we are spirit and soul and body. And, uh, and out of that place of receiving that deep healing um, started in uh, a calling to do the same. And so uh, what I uh, have been doing since 2010 um, a beautiful sister in the Lord and friend of mine also received her healing. And uh, we minister together, um, seeing many times women, but sometimes uh, children with um, uh, guardian or parental consent, and other times gentlemen, sometimes couples. And we walk with uh, people in places where they are stuck in their own um, in their own journey with the Lord, and uh, we bring them into encounters with the truth about the constancy and character of God, so that they too can um, walk in uh, in truth and understanding His heart. So people come to you, um, and they often present to you a, a problem that they're trying to get over. Um, oftentimes, maybe it's a broken relationship, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's um, um, some other struggle that is probably, that that's what they want to deal with, that's what they present to you, but there's probably something deeper going on, right? And that prayer ministry helps to get down to that root stuff rather than just the surface stuff. It, it is true. Um, we uh, present our ministry as what we call prayer ministry discipling, because it is a combination of um, discipling, which is, in fact, sharing the uh, truth of the word of God and helping a person embrace and believe that truth. Because we have found, and, and I found it so often, uh, even in my own life, you can have a head knowledge of, of the truth, but how does that affect you? Really, it needs to be embraced and believed in your innermost being. So it is true. They come with a presenting problem, and we call that a, you know, a symptom, just like you could go to the doctor with a presenting um, symptom, and yet the doctor's going to run tests. And to see, uh, sometimes they have to do blood tests, and other times they have to do other tests. And really, through conversation, because it's a two-on-one uh, ministry in that we see, or, or if it's a couple coming, it's obviously more, it's two-on-two. -two. But my ministry partner and I, we enter into conversation asking the questions, and we will often find that perhaps a presenting problem of depression or a presenting uh, problem of uh, just... Uh, uh, you know, uh, irrepressible rage or anger or uh, many times it's suicide or addiction or, um, or even just um, your life's out of control in an area will, uh, through um, these conversations, uh, uh, uncover or reveal uh, a, a belief system. And that belief system is really um, one of the 
reasons why you are experiencing the symptoms. So with regards to mercy and forgiveness, we see that so, so often. So how often in your ministry with people do you find when you start going down, drilling down in a little bit in conversation and prayer, do you find that that part of the root is uh, unforgiveness, broken relationships, um, areas where they haven't received forgiveness or where they have been unwilling to give forgiveness or never even thought about it? Um, many, many times it, it is that. There are, are diff- definitely different aspects of the, of the ministry that we do, but first and foremost, uh, I find that we have a wrong understanding. The enemy has, has uh, done a very good job of, of uh, misrepresenting and blaspheming the name and character of God. So we begin to uh, uh, go into a deep place, uh, a deeper place of understanding who do you believe God is? Because in our human relationships, um, you know, even when we sang that as a father, extends compassion toward his toward his child so does our heavenly father well if you had a human father that was never compassionate you see god in the same way and even when you sing those words it would affirm your very human experience and and you have this this conflict going on within you so as we bring a person into understanding the character of god and the constancy of god and i really appreciated what you said about god's mercy of actually preceding the cross because he is mercy. It is his character. It is his essence. It is his being. And we need to come into this understanding that it is God who is the giver of all good gifts and it is the enemy who steals, kills, and destroys. And when we can get those roles right, we can often come down to another place where we uh, we can help a person understand that perhaps they have wrongly uh, accused God of something and it simply comes out of this belief system that may have come out of the lies that the enemy has told them. But there's also places where, as you said, a person is not willing to forgive themselves because they're walking in shame and they don't think they're worthy of God's forgiveness. So they do not have an understanding of how God sees them. And so we go into those places too. And so it can become a, um, you know, in many kind times, uh, you know, you can wonder, well, how long is this person going to be uh, in ministry? Well, we, we see people who are willing to be uh, willing <laughs> in, in that sense. And sometimes the epiphany and the, the understanding is so uh, intensely, it's like a bright light that has just almost gone, whoa, and everything is made clear to the person and Holy Spirit does all the work, and, and I want to make clear on this, it's prayer ministry discipling, because um, my, my ministry partner, I, Kimberly, and I, um, we are simply vessels or agents uh, that are willing to walk along these uh, in these stuck places with people, but we say it is the Lord who is healing you. It is, it is the Holy Spirit who's bringing God's comfort now into these places where now you're willing to take down this wall uh, of uh, distrust of God because you've understood him incorrectly. You think that if you, he ever sees your shame, you would not be accepted, and you come into this place, and as soon as the walls are broken down, that person is able to receive when they believe that, uh, that you know, they qualify for this. Like God loves them, and he created them. And so when the lies come down and the truth comes to light, it's so much... Um, uh, you know, the, the embrace of the truth from the heart becomes the reality rather than the acknowledgement of the truth with the head. See, my own story resonates so much with what you're saying because, like, for years, I knew something, I felt something wrong inside of me. I was a believer, I was, I, but I, I didn't have that sense of, of forgiveness, that sense of freedom inside of me. And, uh, and I, so I embarked on ministry with LL and others in my life and um, and it, it's, it, it took a while to get down into the areas where um, where where the where the where, at least so far <laughs> where the real issues were and you know um, about three years ago finally coming in, in the same kind of ministry setting but with a counselor and coming to 
acknowledge the fact of childhood and um, as a young person being sexually abused and not, not ever acknowledging that before, just in acknowledging that and praying about that with someone um, to, to now stand, be able to sit here and talk about it, first of all, and then secondly, to understand that inside, I just, that doesn't, like I feel, I, I feel free. Yes. Yeah. And I th- so does that resonate with the kind of thing that you see happening in people's lives? I mean, it takes some time. I mean, I would have liked it if when I prayed one time at the altar, God said, okay, I'll take that all away. But there had to be, there actually had to be an acknowledgement of the wrong done in order for me to, to give forgiveness and receive forgiveness. Uh, absolutely. Because uh, one of the things that I think that culture says is, okay, forgiveness is about forgetting it. Okay, it was in the past. Let's just leave it in the past. But the reality is, and I think we all know this, that when we come into a place of being saved, we're saved and uh, we know where we're going. But does anyone ever, uh, I mean, I, I acknowledge, I still struggled with things. I mean, I struggled with behaviors and attitudes and things and and our sanctification is a process so our salvation is a moment in time our sanctification is actually a journey and for some people those layers they are deep um the trauma has been like like there's you notice that in isaiah 61 there's a difference between a captive and a prisoner and a captive is someone that when um an enemy comes in and pillages, they take captives, and that person is taken against their, um, their, their will. Well, we find that most often in places of trauma, like uh, um, uh, sexual abuse as a child, or many times PTSD. We've ministered to people who have been suicidal. Um, we've ministered to some people who have been victims of um, um, SRA, which is satanic ritual abuse, these people have places that they've blocked and chopped, uh, and they're way deep. And so many, many times we'll say, let's just pause here. And you ask Holy Spirit, you know, where, where is the root? So, so the journey can be uh, a long time, but the freedom, the freedom is the difference between, if I've, if I've stuffed something down, and I often use this analogy because it's a true story of when I was a child, I fell down and I, in the pavement and I, I gashed my knee and gravel got in right to the bone. And uh, um, if, if I let it heal, the skin would have gone over it, but it would have been a messy thing. I mean, the, the stuff that was in there would have done its thing. Um, maybe I would need an amputation. I'd walk around, you know, the rest of my life without a leg. But the, the kind thing was, is my mother took me to the doctor. He used a surgical brush. They scraped, scraped out the gravel. Was it pleasant? No. But when the skin healed over, now I have a scar there. The scar is there, but I can show it to you. I can hit it and it doesn't hurt. Well, had I let it heal over without, um, you know, doing the appropriate thing, anytime there's a trigger in my life, oh, wow, does that ever bring the pain back? So, um, so uh, you know, in, an- in answering your question um, uh, uh, about the, the, the freedom, when we uh, do come to the Lord, sometimes we have the miracle of, and I think some of you in this room can attest, you may have had an addiction, you may have something, and the Lord in his, in his kindness and love and grace and mercy healed you immediately of that, but there are other things that have to go deeper. And sometimes they even have to come off in layers. And so there are some people that we see uh, on a more regular basis. So uh, sometimes uh, it might be once every two weeks because uh, we want to see a person walk out the healing. What the Lord has worked in in that moment, we ask the, the Lord to seal that with the blood of Christ and uh, and water it with the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and they walk out in that new truth. It's like it's like you know having your arm in a sling for a while, and the muscle atrophies. Well, okay, now let's get that muscle moving, and then we might see them again. So depending on where that person is, is in their walk, and I want to emphasize too, it's a ministry. Freely have we been given, so fr- freely we give. Um, this is not, um, I don't have a license, I'm simply, uh, uh, I love the Lord and I love the body of Christ. 
And so, my, and the same with my ministry partners. So when we see people, we see them usually for about um, 60 minutes, 90 minutes at a time, depending on the uh, time frame and depending on our availability. Wow, that's yeah. wonderful. You know, I picture um, today here that people may feel um, that they're like that woman caught in adultery. You know, the Bible calls the devil the accuser of the brethren, accuser of, of the followers of Christ. I can just picture that some people feel like they're being accused every day for something they've done or for something they feel. And it's like they've come and they've been thrown this morning at Jesus' feet. And, um, and they know they're guilty. <laughs> we all know we're guilty, right? Um, and, uh, and we're afraid of what might happen to us, but the grace and the love and the mercy of God is there. And Jesus would say to them, um, I don't condemn you. Go, this is a fresh start. This is a new day. Would you just pray for that reality for our people today, that God would just bring that vision of freedom to them. Maybe people have to take a step to, to get some help with that. Uh, prayer ministry or just counseling or whatever it might be. But let's just pray that God would, uh, would set people free today. Absolutely. Father God, I know your heart. And you are a God of love. You are a God of mercy and kindness. You are a holy God, but you are mercy and you are love. And uh, mercy withholds um, the punishment that we deserve. And grace uh, just gives what we don't deserve. And you have, you, you encompass both of those. This is your character. And I want to speak to those people who are here today. Um, and if you know Christ is your Savior, you know that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you may only know that in your head, but it is my prayer today that you may come to know that in your heart of hearts because our God is a God who is constant. He is not a man that he should lie. And every promise in him, every promise in Christ Jesus is yes. And he has told you, and he has said, you don't even have to beg for forgiveness, for he has said, if you just agree with me, simply agree with me, I, I, I freely give you that forgiveness, that forgiveness is yours. Now walk in a place of freedom. And I pray, Father, that every person here would just come before you and they would present their pain before you, they'd lay it at the cross, and they'd make that exchange because Jesus paid the price. He paid the price for that. He took that upon himself. And inasmuch as we have been freely forgiven, let us also freely extend that forgiveness for others. Because, Lord, it sets us, it sets us free. You are the only righteous judge. And you have shown us what is required. You have said in Micah 6, 8, that we are to act rightly as your children, that we are to be known by others as our love for one another, but also that we are to love others as we love ourselves. We are to love mercy, and we are to walk humbly with our God. And so let us in humility just simply position ourselves to receive your very best, and that very best is your love. I praise you and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Two things I want to encourage you to do just before Phil comes, and that is... um, Number one, if God's been speaking to you, um, you need to take a next step. You need to do something today. And I encourage you to do that. Um, Our prayer team will be over here to my left. And uh, I encourage you just to come and be prayed for. And just, even if it's just saying, asking the prayer team to pray with you, that you'll have the courage to do what is necessary in the next step for you. Also, you can use your connection card. and you can write me a note, um, and uh, maybe you want to talk to me or to someone else or want, to, want some help in getting some referral or something like that. But don't leave here without taking a next step if God's been speaking to your heart today. I encourage you to do that. Thank you, Cynthia. Give Cynthia a hand. Phil, would you come?